There is a common saying out there that index funds are beating actively managed funds. Is this true? What do hedge funds actually do? If they are a bunch of super talented, like think about it, super smart and talented people, how can they underperform the markets? The reality is that hedge funds have tools that the retail guys will never have access to. But the interesting part is, how do they play the game? Today, we spend time with Jeff, a quant trader in one of the biggest European banks out there to break down this idea of whether hedge funds actually outperform the market. Take it over, Satoshi. But before that, a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, we hope you're loving our weekly newsletter so far and in our continued effort to improve and create better products for you guys, we are collaborating with Books Beyond Borders, which is a second-hand online bookstore that sells donated books to fund social causes they believe in. We love it and we want to be part of that. Every week, you will see a book recommendation by them on our newsletter and these books are on a first-come, first-served basis. Usually, there's only one or two copies yeah, donated once. So if you want to be the first to know what new interesting books they have, head over to thefinancialcoconut.com to sign up for a weekly newsletter now. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Satoshi and I warmly invite you to my show, Finding Your Edge. Finding Your Edge is a five-part special brought to you by the good people at The Financial Coconut. Join us on a journey into the deep universe of hedge funds as we seek to uncover the truth behind their inner workings. We'll be inviting industry experts and insiders on our show, coaxing them, grilling them, and convincing them to share with us the keys to the promised land. Ultimately, we want to give you that edge as you venture into the vast arenas of the financial world. In today's episode, we have Jeff joining us. Jeff is currently working as a trader in one of the leading investment banks in Europe and prior to that had stints in hedge funds all over Asia. He is not only just young and smart but extremely intelligent as well and is here with us to answer the question of this episode Why hedge funds outperform the retail markets? Welcome to the show. Will you classify what you are doing as an algo trader, as in use algorithms or, you know, it's all human intervention? Can you just share? Yeah, so uh, what we do is more uh, discretionary than systematic or quantitative in that sense. Sure, what does that mean, like discretionary? Yeah, so discretionary, uh, we will basically look at like, the macro trends in general and see how the market is actually moving, um, then make a decision. So there's a lot of human intuition that goes into it and a lot of say, your macro knowledge that you have to understand and delve in deeper itself. Yeah, so basically that's kind of what we do. But if you look at, say, uh, an algo trader or a quant trader, sure. then they usually have a rule-based system or they look at some form of mathematical models to try to understand things a bit better and very, very little human intervention to try to get in and out of risk itself. Yeah, that's what I would say. Then can I just ask your opinion because you know you're speaking for us humans. Uh, do you find a particular way superior is human intervention superior to that? Will humans get phased out in the future? I wouldn't think that humans will get phased out in the future. I think that's uh, the worry of a lot of industries as well. Sure. Particularly for trading, I think one thing to take note is that you're going to have to be able to think of how the different market participants are actually playing out this huge game or puzzle even. Yeah. yeah. So... Yes, you might be doing some form of systematic trading or you may be doing some form of uh, algo to try to 
understand a bit better of the markets by looking at sure. this data to see how you can um, find some form of alphas, which we will kind of go through later as well okay. when we talk about uh, hedge fund strategy. And at the same time, of course, when we look at, say, on the discretionary front of sure. things. Which is what you are doing. Yep, correct. Okay. Um, we also try to automate some of the processes because when we look at things, there's a lot of information that comes in and out. Definitely. Yeah. So we got to streamline certain things. Uh, we got to only take in the information that's essential to us and look at those, mm -hmm. then make a decision from there. So I think eventually what will happen is that things will become more of a like fundamental in that sense. Uh, where you still have to use some form of fundamental data to look at things from a different angle and use the quant methods itself to help you to better craft your own decision. Like maybe if you think about it, like your transaction costs, uh, analysis, or even say at which point do you try to put a trade in or get out of a trade. Yeah. So things like that will actually matter in the near future. I, I see. And uh, I mean, from a layman point of view, when mm. you talk about fundamental, you're referring to market events. Am I right to say that? Yeah, like market events. Headlines. Yeah, or maybe your accounting, like your 13F uh, on the SEC filings and things like that. Yeah. Sure. Mm. So that, that's what you mean by fundamental. And Quan, mm. uh, can you just give us an uh, insight, you know, like for Quan, is it like, you know, the candlesticks or... From the Quan perspective itself, a lot of it, they looked at, say, uh, like I mentioned, mathematical models. So it can sure. come in the form of, say, your factor-based model or statistical arbitrage or maybe some form of trend-following strategy. So I think one of it is momentum is a very big thing that people look at and mean reversion as well. Okay. Yeah, so all, all of which will rely very, very little human uh, judgment with respect to trading decisions outside of this model. So... You, you basically are paying a lot for this quant analyst to try to build very intelligent models uh, to predict what to trade next and when to trade next. Yeah, so. I see. And the model will give you the, the answer. Am I right to say that? Yes, that's right. Will a model like, give a probability or is there like a firm answer? Most of the um, time? It depends on how you build it. So uh, if you look at, say, statistical arbitrage, we usually see things from a pair trading perspective. Sure. So say, for example, if I'm going to trade Pepsi and Coke, okay. yeah, then... It depends on the market events that goes around uh, or like corporate actions that goes around these two different companies sure. itself. So maybe for whatever reason, there's an event that's going to cause a Coke price to soar. Okay. Yeah. And we know that the demand for the Coke will definitely increase. Okay. So we expect that, yeah, for sure that the Coke stock price is going to increase. So why not just buy into it and then we short the, yeah, we just short Pepsi altogether. Short yeah. Pepsi, so in that sense, you have a distinct output. Yeah, okay. but if you say you looked at uh, factor-based modeling, okay. you you get more of an overview of this stock universe sure. or equities universe. Then you see uh, whether you want to invest in some of these different equities. That is when maybe some form of discretion will have to come in, mm -hmm. or maybe you can even build a model to de uh, to determine the portfolio composition and see how you can further. Uh, implement this trades idea as well. I yeah. see, I see. So would you say that you are employing some sort of factor-based modeling on your end? Yeah, so Because you're discretionary, mm. am I right to say? And factor-based modeling, I think, um, mm. it comprises of discretionary elements. Yeah, I couldn't say that I do a lot of factor-based modeling because factor-based modeling means you have to look at some form of regression models as well. Okay, like uh, sorry, what's a regression model? Yeah, so like back in high school, we, we all learned like why you could uh, MX plus C. <laughs> okay, so more of like the yeah, algebras yeah. and yep, yep. very complex mathematical uh, yep. equations. Correct, right? correct. Okay, sure. Yeah. So on my end, very recently we had the, the Trump and Biden US election. Okay, yep, okay. Very, on, recent. Right? very, very recent. Very, very recent. Sure. So I will look at it and see, oh, like 
what are some ideas that we can generate out of this? Like, is there some of the, maybe in the credit space or say in the fixed income space, is there things that we can try to leverage upon depending on the movement of the, the markets? So it comes to a point where you actually think not just what you would like to do, but sure. what the other participant would also be trying to do. So you want to be on the right side of yeah. the, the trade, not on the wrong side. Because after all, like I mentioned earlier, one always try to get out of the position as risk-free as possible. Yeah. So um, all this comes from yourself. Am I right? Is there's no model telling you how to think? Is this all Jeff? Like, or <laughs> is there like a computer program, you know, guiding you through? Yeah, so I do look at a couple of things. Like I build my own indicators to take a look. Um, some of it is like to, to get in and out of position. Maybe you look at uh, sure. the technical analysis aspect of things. Okay. Um, other other things will be relying heavily on what I've learned in uh, macroeconomics back in school. So okay. thanks, Prof. So your, yeah. your education <laughs> yeah, is yeah. still helping you. Yep, yep, yeah, because right. most of the guys, you know what, they, they throw away whatever mm. they, they learn in school. But apparently you're still employing. <laughs> so I think your yeah. lecturers will be very proud of you. If I could put a number to it in terms of the proportion, I, is it like 80% Jeff, 90% Jeff or 10%... Uh, you know those tools that are helping you? How, yeah, how will you I classify it? I will classify it more like um, 70% Jeff, 30% having to scrape whatever that's necessary and okay. just take a look at them and sure. just come up with a judgment and before making a decision itself. So, I mean, from an investment angle uh, point of view, can you just give us an understanding because I think you have, you have, you have been to, to, to all the sites already. Uh, you know, what do the hedge funds really do from that angle? Okay, yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Um, from, from that point of view, so I think before we even delve into that, sure. then we really need to understand what a hedge fund is. So yeah. a hedge fund is a regulated uh, investment fund that is typically open to a limited range of investors who actually pay a performance fee to the fund's uh, investment manager. So as we'll discuss later, so like every hedge fund will have their own kind of uh, investment philosophy okay. that actually determines the type of uh, investment made and the strategies that it actually employ. Sure. Uh, in general, so in the hedge fund community, it undertakes uh, much wider of investments and trading activities sure. than say your traditional long-only investment funds like mutual funds, uh, asset managers. Yeah, and hedge funds also invest in a say, broader range of assets that includes long and short positions in equities, bonds, commodities, and yeah, even derivative. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think you just shared a bit about you know the definition of yep. the of the of the hedge fund, but you know from a layman, you know if you yep. want to actually understand the the hedge fund business, yeah. So the hedge fund business um, essentially is just trying to make profit. Okay. Yeah, with limited regulatory constraints on them, okay. as opposed to a bank for sure. sure. Yeah, but the thing is that um, a typical investors like a retail investors will find it very hard to break into because of the performance fee that the fund actually charge it's going to be very expensive. So very commonly, if you try to invest in a hedge fund, then sure. you'll see things like 2 slash 20. Yep. Then you'll be it's wondering, like, yeah, we wondering like, what's, what exactly is 2 slash 20? Yeah, please. Yeah. Well, so actually. actually, most of the hedge fund work on this uh, two, 2 or 2 and 20 manager compensation scheme. Sure. So it means that the fund managers themselves yeah, will get 2% of the assets and performance fee of 20% of the profit every year. Well, that's, that's, that yeah, sounds that's extremely insane. Yeah, insane. yeah. yeah. so uh, in fact, yeah, given the nature, right, the hedge funds yeah. 
often have a very aggressive goals, yeah, which allows them to be very lucrative in trying to produce all these strong profits. Yeah, but the structure itself has been widely criticized by a lot of people, given that the hedge funds, say for example, the hedge fund is going to lose money that year on profit. The, the fund manager is still going to make a very cozy amount. Oh, you mean they, even when yeah, you yeah. lose, you, they still have to take their fee? Yeah, because you you definitely been going to be able to gain a cozy amount from that 2% of invested as, asset. And I mean, then why does, why do people even still invest in the first place? Yeah, I mean, so, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's right. So I guess the performance fee itself, that 20% that yeah. is put forth, um, is the defining characteristic of a hedge fund. Okay. Yeah, so it actually motivates the hedge fund manager to generate superior returns. Okay. And is intended to align the interests of the manager mm-hmm. uh, and the investors more than just a flat fee, say, typically you have with a mutual fund or asset manager. Sure. So to simply just put it is that hedge fund manager yeah. get rich if it generates superior returns and thereby making their own clients rich as well. I see. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, 20%, wow. Uh, okay, but of course, they don't earn the 20% if it's a loss-making investment. Am I right to say that? Yeah. They just yeah. earn the 2%. Uh. Correct. So that's what I just wanted to... Yeah, do. so, well, I mean, like I mentioned, it's going to be very difficult for retail investors to break into this industry. Sure. Because firstly, um, high fees. High fees is one. So the people that can actually invest uh, in it will have to be worth a net 1 million. US okay, dollar. is this a regulatory uh, yes. constraint? This is a SEC regulatory constraint. Okay. Uh, or actually have a annual income of 200k. So even in Singapore itself or Hong yeah. Kong, yeah, back in APEC right now, right, we, we do see such uh, fee structure put in place. So to, to be a investor, accredited investor itself, these are some of the basic components that you have to achieve before you can go about to put your money with a hedge fund. So, so you have to get a license, uh, basically. Yeah, yeah. And you, that's right. To get a license, you have to show that you have a track record. Am I right to say that? That's right. So, uh, will you say that the you know the barrier to create a hedge fund is not uh, that uh, it's not insurmountable because there are so many right now um, of fighting? I, I would say that well, it's not wrong to say that there's a lot of hedge funds that goes around. But let's just take a historical look at some of the mega funds, for example. Like sure. you, you have like. SAC capital they actually reported return of like thirty okay. percent per year and that's on a net basis. Okay. Yeah. And you have like Soros fund management that actually reported twenty percent okay. year on year. And you of course the Renaissance Medallion Fund reported thirty five percent ever since okay. uh, nineteen eighty nine. And and that's so, astronomical uh, returns, am I right? Exactly. Exactly. So uh one thing is that if you if you look into it with this not just hundred, I think like there's over a thousand. Like in the US itself there's over, I think over like 5,000 different hedge funds that goes around. Sure. But not every one of them are actually making money. They are trying to be the next uh, SAC or next Renaissance that, that is up okay. and coming. But yeah, just sim- simply doing a computation, then you realize that this average return yeah. is actually unappealing when amateur funds are just trying to or struggling to just keep up yeah, with I the see. performance. Yes, but even if you account for say like the survival ship bias in that sense, yeah. and you took the entire hedge fund industry and weighted it sure. by the AUM, you're definitely gonna find that the cap weighted aggregate annualized returns to beat the benchmark. Okay. Yeah, that's that's for sure. sure. And that's it. But if you simply look at any of these random hedge fund, like throw a stone and yeah. you you hit one of these smaller hedge funds. Sure. Yeah, you probably won't find any alpha there. Yeah, on so, a on a whole industry wise, mm-hmm. definitely there's there's some form of astronomical return. 
Yeah, but, but it's only for uh, I mean more of the big boys. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Because I think you know if if they are not going to make as much as what the big boys are earning, I think the small guys they have to cut down on their fee structure already. Does that make sense? Yeah, cutting down on fee structure is one thing, but it's also because um it has always been more of a I I think it's more of a ritual in that sense, right? Like you put in all this performance fee to okay. in- actually try to incentivize your team to work harder mm-hmm. to get to try to seek more alpha. In that sense, but after all, uh, alpha is a zero sum game, and it's definitely very hard to find, say, good alpha managers. And there's also a well established pattern for distribution of alpha across a fun life cycle. So, but none of this is relevant in that sense if if you just try to weight it by AUM in the whole industry. Okay. Then you're gonna see that yeah, even the most median uh, hedge fund. It's gonna have negative alpha. They're never gonna be able to make superior return. In fact, inferior returns. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, it only makes sense that they ultimately be forced to exit the market. Am I right? Because if you are, you know, having negative returns, no then there's no reason for your existence already. So yeah. how how are they still around? In your so, own words. Um, I guess sometimes some people get lucky. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> for okay. sure. So there's an element of luck. Yeah. There's, you a, feel. there's there's a huge element of luck, uh, and also depends on the kind of strategies that you employ. Yeah, uh, like Vendor Capital in uh, in Singapore, the fund manager himself made quite a big bet uh, prior to the COVID. Sure. Yes, and he actually makes superior returns through okay. that one trade itself. So you have you have such instance where people actually put on huge positions, making okay. a loss for a really long period of time okay. before yeah getting that positive alpha out there. Another one you can think of is say Nazim Taleb. Um, okay. So he's the author of Black Swan sure. and Food by Randomness. Okay. So he he has a fund as well that <clears throat> mostly focus on trading tail risk. Okay. And prior to COVID, he, he wasn't doing very well. Um, okay. Just decent returns here and there. But closer to COVID, uh, or rather during COVID, he's actually making quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, because of him having to achieve these tail risk trades that he had put on really, really long ago. So... I, I do think that if you have a good idea, if you, you think that you you have something in mind, mm-hmm. it's, it's worth a shot just trying to put a, a trade out there and see how things go. But of course, like through this whole life cycle of uh, a hedge fund, okay. there's definitely going to have be like operational costs uh, yeah. and data is going to be one thing that's very expensive. Um, and the manpower that you, you employ, trying okay. to get the best fund manager because sure. everybody wants them. Sure. Yeah, so which is why the cost... Uh, that two slash twenty cost is never gonna be taken away. Yeah, I see. When we perceive hedge funds, we you know we think of them as very ruthless, you know, mm-hmm. very aggressive. Do you think this kind of fee structures actually drives this style of culture? Um, um, like cutthroat in that sense. Yes, I I do agree. So, um, just just for fun fact, I guess. Um, yeah. if you look at why like. Back back in history, how hedge fund actually even come about? Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Then we 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 can look at say, um, hedging out unwanted risk is actually a very common thing okay. in financial markets since for centuries, right? Okay. So in like eighteen hundreds, you basically have like commodity producers and merchants that, um, start using, uh, forward contracts to protect themselves against future changes in commodity prices. Okay. Yeah. So that's some form of hedging in that in yeah. in that aspect. Then you have this guy that come along uh, in 1949. Yeah, so sure. Alfred Jones. 
he created his hedge fund called AW Jones in partnership with four friends. Okay. The main idea was because they wanted to pull money uh, together to sure. make, make some returns. So he actually invested uh, 100,000 USD in okay. stocks. So okay. using long and short position. Okay. And the fund returned 17.3%. So the idea itself caught on. Uh, okay. And later on, you have like people... Uh, or fund managers like George Soros, uh, Julia Robertson that okay. comes on board to start their own hedge fund. And definitely one of the examples that makes things uh, or rather rattled the market was uh, Soros Quantum Investment Fund when he bet at 1 billion yeah. on the devaluation of the British pound. Yeah. So yeah, I think they call the event uh, Breaking the Bank of England. Right? Yeah, exactly. So The that, man who broke the Bank of England. Yeah, that okay. actually caused Britain to try to pull out from the... <laughs> the exchange rate mechanism and yeah, all the spiking. I think it's rate. all these stories that actually you know add to the mystery and the legend of uh, the that's right, that's right. right to say that. Yeah, so from from a surface point of view, I agree that things can be really ruthless from yeah. that point of view. But if you think about it, um, what they are doing is that they also try to increase some form of competition because after yeah. all, they are they are really trying to serve a client as opposed to say. Uh, uh, bankers because bankers are just trying to take in orders and make sure that yeah. the, the you are financing the the larger population mm-hmm. itself and hedge fund is basically just the modern sexier sibling of all the traditional mutual funds and yeah they are more opportunistic a lot more nimble sure. and i would say a lot more less risk adverse as well yeah as opposed to say your mutual fund having to just make long only investments yeah, yeah. So in, in that sense, it creates that, that competitiveness. And once you mm-hmm. get in the industry, you realize that, hey, ruthless, yes, one. Okay. But uh, the competition, the education that can get out of it, um, yeah. just having to think beyond what you already have, what you have learned in school, or, or in fact, what you have learned at work if, prior to working in a bank, mm-hmm. things get a lot more interesting. You, yeah. you get a lot more free play to see how you can try to generate some of these uh, returns. Yes. Yeah. So if you ever think of trying to break into a hedge fund space, yeah, okay. why not just do it? Dear Diary, I'm coming to the end of my university studies, but I still feel so lost. I wish I had a guide helping me to find the career I deserve. Hey, are you struggling to find an internship or getting hired at your dream company? Maybe you're unsure of what they're looking out for or why you got rejected. Applying for 100 roles without a strategy does not work. Instead, check out Kenobi, your one-stop resource platform that gives you that edge when you're finding your next position. We target only the highest paying jobs with starting salaries of more than $5,000 a month. Sign up now for a free trial at kenobi.asia forward slash TFC. See ya there. Thanks for, for sharing you guys with that. Okay, I, I just want to, you know, uh, touch on a lighter point. Okay, have you seen the movie uh, Big Shot? Yeah. Oh, yeah and, okay, so uh, for all our listeners out there, I think Big Shot is one of the, uh, I think the more most famous uh, hedge fund uh, movies out there. That actually, you know, goes deep into, you know, um, you know how the hedge fund actually made money. Uh, and it's based on a true story. Just to very quickly ask Jeff, uh, you know, how, how factual is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the movie? Because I think it really relates to, you know, like you mentioned, like most of the hedge funds, they're just lying low, trying to survive all the operational costs until a big bet makes, uh, you know, makes it. Mm. 
Am I right to say that? Is yep. it quite factual in your words? Yeah. Uh, before I answer the question, I think read the book. The book is more interesting. <laughs> the book is more interesting. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah than the movie for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah I want to yeah. see the movie. I will the book out. But uh, for certain, I think uh, what they have portrayed on the movie is yep. is quite accurate. In fact, prior to 2018, like you have the big boys, the like Goldman Sachs, uh, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse, sure. trying to come up with their own hedge funds as well. Um, because at that point in time, Vocus Group wasn't in place. Okay. So prop trading was a thing that can, can actually happen. So the traders can put on positions on their book to, to run their own portfolio, things like that. Yeah, explaining what is prop trading, am I right? Is it yeah, proprietary correct. trading? Yeah. Am That's right. right. Yeah, so proprietary trading means that instead of just doing market making like what I mentioned earlier on, you can put on some positions on your book and take a certain direction such yeah. that you will be able to make some uh, returns if it goes in favor. Yeah, so what happened... Um, then in 20, uh, 2008 is that because of all these bets that goes on, yeah. people were actually looking at um, a lot of, say, your relative uh, arbitrage strategy to yeah. see, especially in the fi fixed income space. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to see that, hey, uh, is there certain things that we, we can try to restructure, mm -hmm. uh, look into it and come up with um, some form of derivatives that we can sell to the, the, the mainstream markets the, the people on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Then they realized that, hey, there's, there's this new product called CDOs. They are collateralized debt obligations. Mm -hmm. So it's just having to put different junk bonds together, okay. um, basket them into one, and then selling this time bomb. I call them a time bomb because um, <laughs> essentially they were one that actually caused yeah. the whole uh, financial crisis at that point in time Definitely. to happen. So the hedge fund space... Uh, at that point in time, had no limits, basically. Sure. They, they, they had all this um, free play to use different products and to just pass on all these different risks and, sure. and try to make superior returns. Yeah. But today, we definitely don't have that uh, as much luxury as we used to because, in fact, like the Fed or the different central banks across the world are actually looking at it and see, like, oh, can they try to limit some of these uh, hedge funds? Uh, yeah ability to you know make uh, risky bets that actually will move the market yeah so so regulation has stopped um, this kind of uh, behavior from reoccurring for now until yeah, something new now. comes yeah. come down the line correct I think regulators you know because it's how dynamic and how mm. uh, profit oriented the whole industry mm. is they are always like one step behind am I right to say that because everybody's trying to find the next big one step behind yes for sure um, I think the most evident one you can look at say the during COVID so a, there was a lot of distressed debt uh, hedge funds that were trying to put on trades uh, during the, the COVID period. Okay. And one reason is that, yeah, you, you have a lot of uh, potential uh, fallouts from the corporates. Mm -hmm. So essentially, people were trying to put on um, positions okay. and they were getting really, really big. Sure. In that sense, so if you look at the, the, the different credit matrix, then you, you, you see that, hey, um, there's potentially going to be a lot of defaults that happen. So what happens if these uh, hedge funds actually collapse, um, not having to honour um, some of these trades that they have already put on? Sure. It's going to be a very huge problem for the central banks itself. And considering how constrained they are already, um, they are, they are right now because of low interest rates and whatever that's going on, having to do some form of monetary stimulus. Yeah. So it's going to make their job very, very difficult. So sure. Which is why 
they are going hard on hedge funds as well and yeah. the banks looking to see how they can try to minimize all this uh, structural risk that goes on deeper in the markets. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And uh, you know, you know, while we are while we are sharing with regards to that, I I think you heard a term, you know, the the term of too big to fail. Mm-hmm. Am I right to say? It? Will you say that that applies to hedge funds? I I think when you refer to too big to fail, you're referring to banks, mm-hmm. uh, in general. And we have seen you know bailouts, you know, it happened mm-hmm. before already. Um, will you apply the same thing to hedge funds in your own words? Yeah. So in fact, I have a very good example with regards to this. Uh, so you, if you look at say. Uh, long-term capital management uh, in the past, which was actually founded in 1994 by John Merriweather and advised by the creators of Black Shows model. Okay, sure. So Myron Shows and uh, Robert Merchant. So actually the LTCM collapsed in 1998 okay. due to a Russian default uh, that happened on 17 August 1998 okay. when the Russian government defaulted on its domestic local currency bonds. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so... LTCM actually put on uh, a lot of investment strategy that were based on uh, hedging against a, a predictable range of volatility in currency as, as well as bonds. Okay, sure. So on that very fateful day, 17 August okay. 1998, so Russia actually declared that, hey, I'm going to devalue my currency okay. and I'm going to default my bonds. There's okay. nothing you guys can do. Okay, yeah. Sure. Then that, that event itself was beyond the normal range that LTCM had actually estimated. So by 31st August, the Dow Jones index actually dropped by 13% and investors were actually uh, seeking refuge in treasury bonds, which actually caused the long-term interest rate to fall by a full point. As a result, so because LTCM was heavily invested in highly leveraged products, this all started to crumble. So by the end of August 1998, it actually lost 50% of the the value of its capital investment. Sure, sure. Um, since so many banks and the pension funds have yeah. invested in LTCM, right? Okay. Its problem actually threatened to push most of them to near bankruptcy. Okay. And okay. Bastons <laughs> dealt the final blow in okay. September. Sure. So the investment bank managed all of LTCM's sure. bond and derivative settlements. Okay. It called for over like 500 million payments okay. uh, and Bastion was so afraid that it would lose all of its considerable uh, investments okay. and LTCM was out of compliance with all its banking, banking agreement for three, three months okay. Okay. to the point that the Fed had to step in to try to rescue the market for that okay. week itself and actually if I, wasn't, if I didn't remember wrongly the Fed actually pumped in 9 billion US dollars to try to rescue the whole markets so in that particular August of 19, uh, September, rather September 1998, there wasn't a crisis. A crisis was averted. Okay. And only because the Fed realized that LTCM is too big to fail. I yeah. see. And it, the Fed actually forced them to liquidate all their assets and close shop for good. Close shop for good. Mm-hmm. Eh? Well, I mean, well, I mean yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really uh, amazing story. So uh, thanks, th- thanks for that. I, I just want to touch on one more last point before I let you go. It's been very interesting, so probably you'll take this offline. Um, could you just share uh, what is a common, you know, sort of like hedge fund strategy? And, you know, uh, you, you mentioned uh, like returns like 30 over percent mm-hmm. for, you know, for George Soros. Um, what is the kind of uh, common hedge fund strategies they use? That, and that's why they can actually, uh, you know, lead them to actually perform better than the, the market. Mm, yeah, sure. So there's a couple of uh, different elements that they actually look at. So like style, that's one. 
um, they probably will look at say uh, global macro, uh, directional, event driven, arbitrage and so on and so forth. Okay. Then what kind of markets do you want to try to uh, tap on? So okay. it may be equity, it may be fixed income, yeah. commodities, FX uh, or alternative investments even. Sure. And what kind of instruments like your options, your swaps, your uh, long short equity. Okay. Um, maybe even exposure, say like market neutral, being uh, taking a form of direction, mm-hmm. in and what sector, health sure. healthcare industries, and so on and so forth. Yep. Um, and last but not least, diversification. So it, it may come in the form of say multi manager, multi strategy, multi fund, or multi markets. So I think one of the more common strategy that uh, sure. is being employed is global macro. Okay. So. What it means is that uh, these hedge funds actually yeah. invest in bonds, uh, stocks, futures, options, and sometimes currency in okay. hope of try, trying to maximize the changes in macroeconomic variables. Okay. Yeah. What is a macroeconomic variable? Yeah. What is a typical one? Yeah, so it can be like global trade, uh, interest rates, or some of the central bank policies that goes on. Sure. So one example of uh, a fund that does this is Bevan Howard. Okay. Yeah, so usually the investments that they do are highly leveraged and highly diversified. Mm-hmm. Um, and back to the question they were asking me about systematic trading and discretionary trading. Sure. Um, there's a lot of uh, macro funds that are actually implementing systematic macro as well. Mm-hmm. So it's been taking off because it, it looks into uh, mathematical models and okay. software instead of discretionary models. And in fact, a lot of hedge funds mm-hmm are looking into doing multi-strategy, so incorporating different strategies into one to try to gain some of these superior returns that we talked about. Um, Would you say that, you know, uh, a hybrid model is um, the most common? So there's no uh, one-size-fits-all? Like, you know, you just take the best of everything for a particular strategy. Yeah, so if you look at, Mm -hmm. say, uh, a Millennium Capital, yeah, they they have different trading pots. So they work with uh, different PMs that comes comes in. Um, They work in silo in that group itself. So a PM may have, say, three to four traders, Mm -hmm. uh, junior traders or execution traders, and maybe one Quan as well as um, maybe one research guy. Mm -hmm. So this form one pot and... In, in that particular pot, maybe he sure. focused on, say, macro strategy. And maybe in another pot, then he may be looking at long shot. So essentially what it means is that the manager themselves will try to invest in undervalued uh, stocks and speed up investment between the investing in long in stocks while shorting other stocks. Yeah, so the fund could actually have like 60% of its funds invested sure. in long uh, and 40% to short stocks leaving a net exposure of, say, um, up to the equity markets of 20%. I see. Yeah, so in, in that sense, it's very interesting to see how all these different pots play out. And then you, you, you see when we classify all the returns into one, when Manila reports the return, it's just one number. Okay, yeah. so there's a lot of things. Mm, there's yeah, a lot of things that, that goes actually around. actually lead up to that one number. Yeah. So if you look at, say, like 0.72, they are more of a long short um, hedge fund. So they focus mainly on long short. And then you may have, say, like AQR uh, or linked uh, asset management where they look more of relative value at arbitrage strategy, sure. where they typically try to buy securities that uh, is expected to appreciate while simultaneously selling short a similar product. In fact, fixed income based relative value arbitrage actually posted a narrow gain in October. 
as the interest rate increased, thanks to the Fed and all your central banks, led by you, alternatives and your convertible arbitrage exposures. Sure. Yeah. Sure, so that's sure. that's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I think I, I mean uh, in a nutshell, I think there are many uh different uh you know hedge fund strategy. I don't think there's a common one because it seems like every hedge fund, you know, it, it finds their own way. You yep. know, at, at the end of the day, I think it's very important that, you know, they reach the promised land, uh, which is that high returns that they are promising their investors. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the, like, mm-hmm. one of the biggest funds uh, that are out there would be, say, your Renaissance Technologies, D-Shore. Yeah. 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 They are particularly more interesting in that sense because they, they are quantitative hedge funds. Okay mostly focusing on uh, algos and systematic strategies to sure. come up with their, tra- their, their trading decisions. Mm-hmm. The funds that I mentioned previously, I, I call them more of the fundamental hedge funds. Okay. But both fundamental and quant hedge funds use uh, fundamental information such as economic data, accounting, financial sure. data. But what makes the quant funds very, very different is that the quant analysts will look at things in a very systematic and automated way. So they may be looking at, say, like tens, if not hundreds of types of different data to try to predict a single output. So it's basically just rule-based, trying to see which asset to sell, which asset to buy. And they wouldn't even care as to whether it has to be equities only, it has to be fixed income only, or stuff like that. So long as they can find a certain alpha or a certain correlation in the, the different asset classes space, and it can be statistically explained, yeah. they'll just go with it. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so whichever works. Uh, yeah, basically. whichever works. So, so that's very not, interesting. Uh, there's no doctrine, there's no dogma, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, whichever works. So they're that's agnostic right. about the, the type of strategies that that's they are, right. that's they are right. using. Uh. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I well, I, I mean, it's been mind-blowing this uh, entire session. I think I, I myself also, I learned a lot, you know, over the, the, the past episodes. Um, maybe I just want to get into uh, a more personal question you know, to probably round off this episode okay so um, a personal question to you Jeff okay. I, if you had the means I, I'm not trying to say you don't have the means but if you had the means uh, would you put your money in a hedge fund I, I would definitely do that I would, put, I would put a sizable amount to see how things go but I think what's more interesting for me is to try to understand what the investment philosophy that the, this particular hedge fund is adhering to sure. and whether it resonates with what I think. Uh, that's something that I really would like to know. And a lot of times, um, you don't want to put your money in a black box, right? In the sense okay. where at the end of the day, December comes or okay. the, the end of financial year and tell you like, hey, your portfolio is making 15%. Okay. Wonderful, for sure. Okay. But the question would be, uh, whether they can continuously sustain this okay. these returns that going forward, Actually. and that's something more important to me. And it's so not I take it you're agnostic also. I mean, it could be a hedge fund, it could be a bank, as long as it's a sustainable return. Yeah, uh, but we, I mean, for when sure, you're talking about sure. hedge funds, I think you're talking about thirty over percent returns. Do a banks even? Promise that kind of returns? No, I wouldn't think that a bank could actually promise you like 30, 30 over percent. Like if you look yeah. at say uh, private banking, um, like to Credit Suisse, UBS, or any of the different banks, right? Sure. They don't even promise say like up to ten percent. Yeah, maybe at most like five, five yeah, to seven. Because they want to hedge their bets also, right? They yes, correct. That's right. So, um, from from that point of view, is yeah. that if you are looking for really superior returns and you have a liquid asset to you know. To, to burn in that sense, mm-hmm. then hedge fund is the way to go. Yeah. Oh, so uh, I mean, um, it's been a very uh, interesting uh, session. 
I think you also really answered the question whether, you know, a hedge fund, you know, you explain why they actually outperform the retail market. And, you know, if you had the opportunity, you actually, uh, you know, invest in, in a hedge fund itself. I think you are great. Uh, how to put it, uh, ambassador, <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, uh, ladies and gents, uh, we have Jeff over here. Uh, Jeff, thanks for taking the time to be a part of this. And thanks for sharing your knowledge and insights. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. So, arigato, my friends, and my deepest appreciation for joining me on this journey. Please reach out to us on the Financial Coconut Socials and Telegram group. Everything can be found in the description below. We would love to hear from you and discover which other sectors of finance to demystify. Until then, ciao!